I think I started off the questioning with mom, do you believe that this man, this 900 year old man put every two of every animal on this boat? Yes. Okay. Uh, did he have help? Yes. He had sons and you know, his family help. Okay, cool. Uh, were there koalas on the boat? Yes. Why are you asking me about koalas? Uh, so I, I brought up, well, koalas can only eat eucalyptus and eucalyptus only grows in Australia. So how did you get koalas from Australia to the Middle East? So you may be wondering, who is this guy asking all these funny questions to his mom about Noah's Ark? And if you're a fan of the podcast, the voice may sound familiar to you because it is the inimitable Travis Green from Let Us Talk Books. Travis is an atheist with a collection of religious texts that's probably much bigger than yours. And in this episode, we talk about all things religion and how to have impossible conversations. Check it out. Our guest needs no intro, you know what I'm saying? It's our friend Travis Green. It's our homie. Had to bring him back on, chop it up about some more, some more books. Um, and I appreciate y'all for having me back on. Man. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah, Tell us about the uh, books that you chose for the for this morning, and a little bit about the first time you read them and why you like them. So the the two books that we're going to talk about today are some some very I would say poignant books. Uh, definitely in my my work with talking to people and just having good discourse with other people and developing rapport. One book is called uh, how to have impossible conversations. So it's a, it's by a philosophy professor out at Portland state. Um, so he teaches a template on how to actually have conversations with people uh, that you technically don't agree with, which kind of segues me into one of the books that I've read um, some years back called God is not great by Christopher Hitchens, who back in the early 2000s was a uh, less than, less than, how can I say, less than premium guest for most people, because the, <laughs> the new atheism, so to say, uh, was on the rise after the 9-11 attacks. And, you know, the critique of religion was at the forefront. So he was one of the big proponents of that. But I put I paired those two books together because it's it's funny because the last time we talked, uh, I mentioned that I identify as atheist and I've been identifying as atheist for at least the last, say, decade. Um, wow. And it's it's important to, I think, let the audience know that in America in general, you have the black community as probably roughly. And don't quote me on this statistic, but I would say at least 80 percent Christian uh, with another like 10 to 20 percent Muslim. But that tiny minority of black people that are actually identifies atheists, um, we need to be able to have conversations amongst each other, especially if we are living in America that has legislation getting pushed because of religious fundamentalism. Yeah. Do you think. Um using like the model of how to have impossible conversations or since you've read the book, has there been a time where you think like, wow, you really had a thoughtful or reflective conversation about atheism with, you know, someone who believes in a religion or another atheist? 
I honestly, so I don't think it's primarily the templates that I use. I don't primarily use it just uh, in talks about beliefs or God beliefs. I honestly use it all every day, no matter what the mm. the conversation comes to, because the the tools and tips that he gives in the book are honestly things that just makes conversation better in life. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the big tips is uh, build rapport with your conversation partner. Right. Um, everybody knows that sometimes you don't like talking to people who don't listen well. Like who, right. who would love talking to somebody who doesn't listen well? That's one of those main tips in the book. Like if you can't actively listen to your partner and respond to their point, why would you want to have an interesting conversation with them? Right. Um, and it, and it, that goes throughout any topic that you're discussing, whether that be traveling, whether that be what you do for work every day. All these tips can help no matter what it is. But it's more important when the conversation topic turns to something that is highly contentious, such as religion, such as race, mm-hmm. such as all these other hot topics that tend to get heated instead of just a basic conversation. Mm. Yeah, it, it was funny for me because I read how to have impossible conversations first. And then as I was reading God is not great, I'm like, why am I getting frustrated? It's because this is not a conversation. And like, because I feel like, right, Hitchens is delivering his truth, delivering his message, which is one of their rules uh, to not do. Um and right, because I can never respond back. And Hitchens is just like such a witty and funny writer. He's always trying to make jokes. It's just like, man, like it seemed like he was going, you know, for the kill shot. Like it didn't even seem like um, Hitchens has this shared shared goal of like, oh, let's both seek seek truth. He really wants to argue like, oh yeah, like this poisons everything. And like, there's no questioning it. And, and yeah, I, I would say it's a it's a well argued um, book, and there are a lot of examples that you know, like a, like of course any rational being would would think are just ludicrous, right? Um, yeah, I think I think part of it though too is like he always he always to me like because he's such a um, funny witty speaker and writer like his arguments can seem like a bit of like sophist sophistry just like you know kind of that magical um i'm convincing you really through like my wording and my turn of a phrase and not like my actual arguments but right he's he's a bro Burlington guy I'll, I'll start start there um yeah it, it's it's, it's funny that I kind of leaked those two books together because pretty much all of the tips that Dr. Bogosian gives mm-hmm. are things that kind of contrast with Hitchens style. So if you if you've read his work outside of God is not great. Um, mm-hmm. So he has some other books, Why Oral Matters, uh, Hitch mm-hmm. 22. But he he most came to prominence in his debate lectures. Right. Um, and debate and formal debate is not a method to get to understanding. It's right. honestly just to lay out your point, make an argument without reasoning with your conversation partner. And 
in our discourse now, I I feel, and I would like for y'all's input on this, that we kind of debate with each other way too often instead of mm. truly trying to get to understand why a person thinks the way they think, right? Now, there there is a nuanced part to that is, hey, can you sit down and talk with somebody who has a viewpoint that's diametrically opposed to yours? So for example, can you sit down and talk to somebody that doesn't believe black people are equal to white people? I mean, you should be able to. Daryl Davis, the musician that right. has converted plenty of KKK members, has. And yeah. it, it seems quite impossible to do something like that, but we see that it can occur, right? Um, the same can be said for religion. Like, I'm an atheist. Um, like we talked about on the last episode, y'all mm-hmm. are spiritual, but we're sitting here talking and being civil towards each other, no matter if we have a belief that is different from each other. But that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal is to let's stop debating each other and actually talk with each other again. No, that's that's facts. I feel like especially online discourse, which I feel unfortunately is where a lot of this is taking place. It's not only that people are debating all the time, it's that they're debating with like everyone at all times. And like, they don't really even know whose point it is or who they're specifically debating. They're just debating with large groups like QAnon or like anti-vaxxers or anybody. And they're just like, y'all are stupid for this, this, and this reason. But right, there's no face-to-face interaction. It's devoid of like, any empathy, any understanding. It's just like, here's my my point. I'm absolutely right. And right, I, it, it's sad, but I think it really gets folks in a, um, what an echo chamber um, that are just damaging to any kind of learning, so. I was gonna say that I've noticed too how, um, how popular the like debate videos are on youtube specific, specifically right or you see like the jordan peterson shuts down like <laughs> liberal college students you know for like Destroy. for 20 minutes it's just a compilation of him like destroying people um and uh you know he's not the only person he's just like he's he's a very popular one because like hitchens he is incredibly smart and knows how to debate well mm-hmm. which is a very particular type of talking it's not I don't see it as conversation. Um, but, you know, I actually think of another book called Metaphors We Live By, which oh, yeah. describes how you can you can think of conversations as war or you can think of it as dance, right? And so, like, the debate kind of practice is more around fighting and, like, winning a side, which, you know, as uh, How to Have Impossible Conversations talks about is that, like, you can win, but you know, if you're thinking of this as a long-term relationship with somebody, you're losing in the long run because you still yeah. have to deal with them thinking you're an asshole, right? Um, so that I, I think seeing that, having that shift from reading that book into thinking of conversations as dances has definitely enabled me to have more fun and see them as light and ways of like learning and understanding. Um, but it's pretty clear that YouTube does not seem to like work that way. Um, just just off of not only how echo chambers work, but also what's, you know, what people are interested in seeing. Um, maybe it has something to do with just the whole notion of like clickbait, you know, like what's that thing that really 
kind of like triggers you to want to watch something. Um, but I think that it also is obviously a, a reflection of just where we're at socially and politically when people aren't talking to each other. And it's like with every new event, people are just kind of entrenched in whatever it is that they already believed, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I think you brought up two great points is like, hey, one conversation should be a a partnership, right? Like I'm I'm in this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. And we should both mutually leave the conversation feeling well. Like, mm -hmm. I think I think that that dance metaphor is perfect for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're sitting down here talking and we all three left our previous conversation feeling good, uplifted. We, sh we should. Charged be, up. Yeah, we were charged up <laughs> like we were ready to execute the day. Right. Right. Uh, but this had this normal conversation tactic through youtube social media that was your second point jan was like you look for the kill shot because it's you're more able to i guess get followers massively through mm -hmm. discord and negativity instead of all right let's watch somebody have good conversations wow <laughs> and I think that has made our society just a little bit more tense because we can't talk to people who we disagree with without leaving it feeling like we had a civil conversation that got somewhere that had a good outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's worse too is like, because so many people believe that like, Oh, right. If you're an atheist, or, you know, oh, if you believe in God, then, like, that means that you also have all these other character traits. So it's, like, not even worth talking to you because, you know, you're a Republican. And that also means, you know, you're, you know, anti-abortion, all this. You know, folks will just, like, create their own mm. invisible laundry list mm. of traits and attach it to the person before they even open their mouth and that's what made, makes it even harder to like sit and have a conversation with someone because again they're assuming so much about like who you even are um and I, I feel like I've noticed that a lot with uh some of my peers who like are just unwilling to talk to any conservative person at all um yeah, and that's 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 sad, right? Is I guarantee guys that even though we are much alike, we probably have a litany of topics that we just disagree on, like diametrically, right? Mm -hmm. I, I go through it every day in my normal life. Uh, this I don't think this will come as a shock to people, but mm -hmm. the bulk of the military or people in the military um, are usually lean conservative are uh, usually lean to the Republican side of issues, right? And for the most part, I don't have issues working with people who I disagree with. But for some odd reason, this the thing that you're talking about, Miles, was like, why can't you have a conversation with somebody who you disagree with? Because one, fundamentally, you should be able to understand how they think and why they think that way, right? That's one of the, the principles and the fundamentals in the book, How to Have Impossible Conversations, is understand why your partner thinks the way they think and how they got to that conclusion. 
but you can't get there if you don't talk to anybody. Yeah. And you know, too, uh, Travis, you just reminded me that there's a, there's some study or research that I saw that was saying that, um, people live nearby, like people that have the same political beliefs as them. Right. I mean, even if you look at, even if you look at voting maps, right. It's like pretty clear that people cluster together, um, based off of their political beliefs. And so it's like, it's like, how long are people going without even actually knowing somebody that disagrees with them politically? Right. I mean, that's a lot of time to kind of, to, to pay attention to them as the other or the villain. Mm -hmm. So then once a, once a specific person enters your life that you kind of encounter, let's say in college, who has a different belief as you, it's like, you already have so much baggage coming in with these associations that Miles is talking about. But a huge part of that is like, that we literally don't even live near people that have uh, views that disagree with ours, unless you're, you know, in the military or in some other like incredibly diverse like workplace, right? Where there are lots of different people. That's an interesting point, Jan. So I, I kind of have like a two-tier question for the both of y'all. Um, one is how have y'all found a, a way or a method to get to talk to people who might not think the same way that you think? And then secondly, when was the last time or if it has occurred or if it hasn't occurred, when was the last time you y'all have actually talked to somebody who on the face of it seems like somebody that you would totally disagree with on a bunch of topics? See, the thing is, I'm, yeah, you might be asking the wrong people just because <laughs> Jen and I are generally like very open and uh, o- open. So like our, openness rating on you know whatever the openness scale is is probably very high just because like Mm -hmm. whenever we see anybody talk to anybody we allow them to kind of again like color in our beliefs about them and we're very forgiving so yeah i don't remember a time where i assumed someone uh, was going to have a lot of things I disagreed with. I'm trying to think. Oh, well, this is a time where I guess I was a bit uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do or say. I kind of let it go. And I guess, so I was in England and we went to see Stone Stonehenge and our tour guide oh, nice. was this older white guy. And he was a pretty funny guy. And as we're going around the monument, which is honestly much smaller than you would think in person, it's kind of underwhelming. Um, he was he was like, at the end of the day, like whenever someone starts talking about race, I just I just I just tell them we're all from Africa and we're all African. And I'm, I'm just like, what? <laughs> like I didn't even know what to uh, say. But it, but it just caught me so off off guard because right he's he's supposed to be telling us about all the theories and science of like why these rocks are aligned the way that they are, and he's like mm-hmm. going on this weird tangent about race and like why we're all connected. And it's honestly at the core of it is beautiful, um, but also seemed so um, callous and 
of course, Rome, 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 Rome moved from like any deeper analysis of race going on at the time. And it's not right as an older white guy, like you can't just absolve that argument completely by saying that, you know, deep down the line, you know, you're pre primordial grandmothers african it doesn't like save 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 you from any um knowledge about race right so right i mean and that wasn't even time because i didn't get in an argument but a time where i guess i regret not intervening more and i wish i would have tried to to even learn like how to do that especially in a in a in a scenario that wasn't divisive and wasn't that bad, but we just kind of all let it go, like, oh, he's just being, you know, crazy old guy, basically. Um, but that's the first one that comes to mind, definitely, because because right, I do the assuming kind of after the the fact too. I I use it as a way to rationalize why he said that point, and mm-hmm. rationalize a way to not intervene. So, um, you know, it's like, oh, yep, makes sense. I should have thought of that before you even open your mouth to say that because you look like this. So I feel like, you know, that's kind of my bad too. Oh, man, that's interesting. Yeah. Chan, have you had something like that? Uh, No, no, not really. I mean, actually, no, I probably have. Nothing's coming to mind right now. But to your first question, I think I was thinking about how sports have been so like important for us being able to be around people that we might disagree with and have conversations with lots of different people. Mm -hmm. I mean, me in particular, I played a lot of sports um, through high school and that was critical to my sense of like open-mindedness as well as just having like a really deep love of music. Right. Because even before, uh, I had, you know, Spanish speaking friends, I was listening to Spanish music or just my curiosity to listen to like music from around the world. Generally, um, I think kind of was an early practice in getting to know other cultures that, you know, I had no clue about as well as, uh, you know, beliefs that were totally different, different than mine. That goes for, you know, what we've talked about before, just with, um, my upbringing around like learning about different religions and so i would say that reading has always been kind of like another one of those practices that kind of helps with being open-minded because you know i mean miles especially he knows it he knows it better than i do i think because he he was reading books by like tucker tucker carlson and you know like yeah just really getting deep into the deep into the sauce of you know, Republican, <laughs> Republican <laughs> political theories and whatnot, and just that entire worldview. And I think through his example, I could see how books were such a low stakes and like safe way of encountering people that have other beliefs in you. Um, and, you know, being in a conversation with them, even though, you know, Miles was just saying how, you know, people are often the messenger telling their message you're not really having a conversation with them you kind of are at the same time just through like taking notes writing in the margins responding in a particular way off of things that they're saying um so i I think that we have had a lot of practice in that but we're also like particularly blessed i would say too just because like 
you know, as, as the people that we are, especially in the schools that we were in, it was relatively easy for us to like not see other people as totally threatening, you know, like, like, um, I'm sure that if I, you know, was more insecure, vulnerable related to like my citizenship status, as a lot of people, like I would have very good reason not to, you know, want to feel comfortable interacting with like conservative politicians or conservative people. Right. Um, so I, I feel particularly like privileged in that way, just that given like how we grew up, who we are, we're kind of able to, uh, feel more comfortable around people. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know if that, if that's like a fully good thing either, you know, it's kind of like a give and take, but I, mean, I, I think it, it is I about, a, it is about just recognizing like, you know, who we are and our limitations, right. That we're not everybody. Uh, a lot of people have really good reasons to not, you know, want to have impossible conversations with people because their, their lives are at stake. Yeah. I think that's a, I think those are a lot of great points that y'all bring up is it one I'll, I'll speak to that last point you just made a little bit. It's like most people, and I know I'm generalizing, but I would I would say most people don't want to have impossible conversations because it is kind of earth shattering to encounter somebody with a belief that's different than yours, and then they could provide you evidence and information that contradicts your point of view. It's pretty earth shattering right that something as small as you know hey your outfit doesn't look good today and you thought you just had on the freshest thing ever right that has a has an impact on you so just imagine how impactful something would be if somebody were to present you evidence that something that's core to your belief structure i something like your christian faith right um i encounter people all the time that are fundamentally christian and when i tell them all of the baggage that goes with it it's you can see that it's palpably hurtful for them to reconsider something that they truly believe um but that's one step you have to have is to be open like y'all two are to have those in conversations with other people, right? Um, I'll just give you an example. So I, at, at work, I have this one individual that I, I talk to all the time. He's, he's a great guy, uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit older than I am. He's 44. Um, but one of his things is he's real hardcore conservative and I would say libertarian. So for the audience who might not know like the, the baggage to that term, libertarian is kind of a political philosophy that just says, hey, I want to be by myself. Government shouldn't tell me I, I don't have to do anything. I, they pretty much don't want streetlights because the government is telling them they have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> like it, that's, that's pretty much what it is, right? Um, um, I'm kind of downplaying and minimizing, but you can get the gist of where I was going. Uh, so we actually got into a topic about what the role of government is for the people that live in that society. Right. And the first thing that I had, I always have to do with 
this individual is define the term that we're actually using. And that's one of the tips in, in, in the book is define what you're actually talking about. So when, so when he said he hates government, I had to define what does he mean by government? Because government is this large nebulous term that like means completely different things to other people. Right. So for me, government in my estimation meant good roads, local, small government, um, fire departments, Mm -hmm. your local community government. But in his eyes, government meant bureaucracy, large federal (laughs) oversight, you know, the deep state. (laughs) So our conversation kind of evolved after we defined our terms. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, one of the questions I asked him, and I would suggest everybody does this, is completely just start with asking questions. Actually find out how somebody thinks first is, one, I had to define the terms. What does this mean by government? Two, play on and listen to what your conversation partner is saying. So after he defined what he meant by government, I asked, would you like to take away the police departments? Mm. And his response was, no, that's the type of government I like. So I had to respond. (laughs) I had to respond with, well, you don't hate government. You like that portion of government. So can we iron out which government you hate and which government you actually like? That way we can narrow down and define what you actually mean by the statement you hate government. I think we could do that with everything, right? Wow. I can already visualize the tears rolling, rolling down this, this man's face, just pure joy, just like, oh man, Charles, hope you see the light. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, no, that's so true. No, right, because like people, I mean, honestly, that's that's what I felt, even with God is not great, a little bit, because when he says the simplest and most devastating critique of religion is that it's man-made to me like in that government 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 case like it almost feels like a misattribution of religion to human beings in general so like so take this example right i think the two-party system is really is really bad here in america i think um it gets people thinking that, you know, these two choices are radically different. I don't think that they are um, different out- outcomes. I think that they're both very, very hypo- hypo- hypocritical, uh, have a lot of money going going through them, cor- corrupt, all this, right? Would I blame the consequences of the two parties on the party platforms? No, on the doc- doctrine of, of the parties, no. I think it's more about the irresponsibility of like human groups in gen- general, right? And, and, and in that way, I would even say like political parties act in similar ways to religion. Like if, if I were to ask Christopher Hitchens to write this same book with like a thousand other people, you can't do it. Because groups are not meant to be rational like individuals are, right? And him like arguing that human groups over time under the name of religion have done crazy, crazy things. Like to me, yeah, it makes sense, but it's not 
like religion is just one way that humans have like again made meaning out of form forming groups is it's like the primary way i don't think it will will be the primary way going forward at all and like this same but i do think there's the same level of um violence and craziness that he depicts will like like of course persists because we're just humans right um and the attribution will be to the internet will be to political parties but those those are both other ways that like human human beings show their irrationality through large large groups but yeah that's i don't i don't know if you have any response to that travis but that was one of the things that i had so i do it's funny because i have i have a profound respect for the way that is that Christopher Hitchens is unabashedly himself. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I definitely have a <laughs> great deep respect for that. His, his oratorical skills, his Same. ability to write, I have deep profound respect for. Um, do I fall in the camp of, do I believe in, let, let me rephrase, do I do I lack belief in God similar to what he does? Yes. I, I, I don't believe that God exists and I don't believe there's supernatural anything. I don't believe in fairies, two fairies, Santa Claus either. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, where I disagree with him and I found myself disagreeing with him a little bit more on just the religious aspect is I have started to come in the camp that believes that religion was a force to take human individuals like you were saying put them in large groups and get them rallied behind something similar and around something together to form a cohesive society Mm -hmm. right what because to me what would be the best way to get a large group of people who cannot agree on anything to come together and finally work together yeah it's probably something sacred, right? A ritual, a mm-hmm. thing that, you know, they all have to strive for a goal, right? In the ancient world, the best way to do that was through ancestor worship, um, rallying behind a holy text. So I see religion in that context as something necessary for human societies and civilizations to evolve. What I think was profound in what you said, Miles, is now that to me, religion has been replaced because of like the less than reputable claims, like i.e. the earth was made 6,000 years ago, um, Muhammad rode to heaven on a winged horse, all, all those claims. I think human society needs something to replace it with. Like you can't, you know, we can't not replace it. Like if I, if I, my goal succeeds, right? And I want to take the religious fundamentalism out of our society. I have to replace it with something to give people hope. But I think that's a portion of the atheist community that I'm still trying to forward and make sure that we understand that, like, if you're going to take this portion, right, Mm -hmm. we have to give people something back for that, right? one organization that I always talk about is recovering from religion. So there's, there's these great people that have a bunch of secular therapists that after somebody comes out of a religion, they, 
need that community because that's what in or at least in the south that's what black people had as a community was their local church mosque or whatnot like if you wanted togetherness you went there on a bible study night or you went to a sunday morning that was the the best way to get together and meet people have a a big dinner on sunday was to go to a prayer meeting right um the same thing in most portions of the world is you revolve around something that's sacred but if you're going to take that away, you're going to take the supernatural element away, the obvious incorrect things away. You have to replace the community aspect. People need community. But the only way we can do that, we got, we got to have a conversation with people about what we can do to help society move forward. Yeah. You know, Travis, um, you're really speaking to this idea of like, you know, basic human needs that I've been reflecting on a lot. I mean, even from how you're describing the evolution of religion and its importance, a necessity, right? Just for uh, organizing people or even what you're saying just now about, um, about community and having that fulfilled, even that sense of hope. I mean, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this book. Um, maybe you've heard of it, Nonviolent Communication by uh, Dr. Oh, Marshall Rosenberg. Have you read yeah. this before? No, not yet. I've heard of it, yeah. but I haven't, heard, I haven't read yeah, it. Yeah, see, I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Maybe that'll be like our part three, um, just because he, he emphasizes the importance of, you know, understanding that people have like universal human needs, right? Mm -hmm. And everything that we do is a part of, is in the, is in the spirit of trying to meet those needs. And he says that like, we're trying to meet those needs and it's regardless of whether or not we're actually accomplishing them, but recognizing that, you know, people are kind of like well-intentioned in that sense has just been really important for his work. But what was really interesting about him was that he was a communication expert from like family dynamics around like, you know, helping couples who've been together 30 years finally start to connect uh getting over like child parent beef he so he was working on like family level stuff he was working on school level stuff between like students and faculty and between faculty and then he was also he was doing some of the like israeli palestinian conflict type mediations like he 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 runs the full course of scales from individual families to international conflict and really does a great job of like describing how the way that we talk about things uh, with people is like very important, right? And the assumptions that we bring into that. And you just reminded me of him, just the way that you were describing things just now. Wow, that's 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 admirable because let's, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I know. I know. Oh man. Yeah, I know. That's another combo. That's it, yeah, that's that's a completely <laughs> different combo. No, oh, you man. would really, you would really love love that book, though, Travis. It, it definitely, right? It builds on so many of the um, layers of you know how to have impossible conversations, but it's like more about not just having like these really well thought out debates it's like just how do you talk to people in like your everyday life in general and just as you were you were saying at, at the start of building rapport that's the thing you have to do with every single person 
I don't listen. That is a thing you have to do with every 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 single person. Um, the nonviolent communication too. Like it was so funny reading it for the first for the first time because like he changed the the wording of like certain sentences and you could like feel the difference like already because I could remember times where I had said things in just the wrong wording and it came off as like passive aggressive mean angry all these things you change around a couple of words and it feels way better even like saying it even hearing it in like your mind it, it it's it's crazy so you would love that but you gotta check it oh, out oh man yeah. that's interesting no, I, like... I gotta i gotta i gotta put it in my cart make sure y'all suggest a new yeah, black no, for sure. for me. <laughs> no yeah. i was i was thinking though too you know tragically in in the last week thing that's been on my mind a lot is the uh travis scott concert at Astro oh, yeah. i don't know if you've heard much about it travis but right to me and it was really just this conversation that made me think of it that almost feels like its own level of like religious fanaticism like to be so mm. engrossed in a celebrity in an artist you know to be like pummeling the the stage in that way just seems i'm almost even more scared of seeing other human beings as deified than like agencies you know focusing god as the deified a non-earth earthly being uh because right when when you get into that human component of deifying folks i feel like it just gets into uh yeah it's it's a it's a tough tough line because of course he lays out plenty of examples where folks are just as violent but i think you you see what i'm saying like even the way folks talk about the president every four years like he might as well be god like the way folks think of him as being able to grant every single wish as if he was a santa claus or two fairy too it's like the president doesn't have this kind of supreme power that folks think that they that they will have when they vote vote them in um and i, I just see that my my mindset is more prevalent than, than you would even think out, outside of religion yeah I, that that is an important point miles yeah. and i i really want to expand on that because let's the deification process is probably i think one of the central themes and god is not great is right in order for you to make good people do evil things, you need to give them something outside of the human element, right? Um, in order, so for example, in order to make a mob of people rush the Capitol on January 6th, you needed a, a central figure telling them that it is okay and the American government was going to make sure that they're okay, right? That's how you get a January 6th. Um, even on the other other political side of the spectrum, if you have a, a deified figure of the Obamas and in order to lull black people to sleep and make them believe that everything is OK, you have this grand figure who is going to end racial strife in America. And we see that that's not the case. But in the essence of what Christopher Hitchens is talking about is the same thing, but he uses it to say it about religion in general, right? What, I mean, this is a, a contentious point, but what made a group of individuals fly two planes into the World Trade Centers 
or the two towers of the World Trade Centers, deification, religion, um, making something outside of themselves say that by this authority, I have the ability to commit violence on you. The same thing is said for religious fundamentalism in America, where you have, excuse me, where you have people bombing abortion clinics, or you have fringe groups protesting outside of soldier um, funerals, abortion like advocates uh, or anti-abortion advocates, all, all these things. You need something outside. You need a deified person to say, all right, well, my God told me that I can commit atrocities on you. And I, I think that's why we need to have impossible conversations because we need to get to the basis of why people believe the things that they believe. And if we can get to that point, then we can possibly stop the violence that can occur, right? If we could have gotten to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden before 9-11 happened, would we have the second and third order effects of mm. thousands of American lives lost in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, hundreds of thousands of, of Iraqi lives lost, hundreds of thousands of Afghan lives lost? Would we have gotten to that point if we could have talk to those individuals in a more meaningful way i mean right. maybe it's a maybe it's a too optimistic goal mm. but on the smaller level can we stop the eventual people from doing harm in our local communities if we sit down and talk with them and i think that's one of the biggest reasons why i want to express how to have impossible conversations to other people is maybe we can stop the lower level things around our community and honestly have better conversations with other people that we don't agree uh, don't agree with. Mm. No, that's 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 a great point too. I think this is another difficulty that I had with Hitchens though, is because he's talking about these major geopolitical issues. I also don't think that you can remove certain events from any other cause and effect of geopolitics. So with 9-11, right? Honestly, I, I won't be ashamed to say it either. Like a TV, like a TV show totally changed the way I thought of 9-11. This, this, this show called Rami, right? And in the show, um, it's about him growing up as a Muslim, um, in a post 9-11 America. And there's an episode where he has a flyage, flyage back to the day it happened. And as a and as a and as a kid, he's having this night nightmare where he sees like Osama bin bin Laden in his house, you know, like talk, 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 talks to him um, for like five, 10, 10 minutes, right? And he asks him like why he did what he did, why did he do this 9-11 attack? And right, it is fake, but he goes into this whole explanation that like America basically right took away their autonomy, their autonomy and their economy and their ability to even make strawberries. Um, no, no. So yeah, so the, the the first part was right. The idea was right. that um, the autonomy, the sovereignty was taken away so that Americans could have strawberries in the winter. 
because it was he was trying to make the point that um that off of you know like foreign foreign aid uh u.s interventions in the middle east towards you know changing up their agriculture to support export crops like strawberries um it took away people's ability to actually like do subsistence farming to actually you know live and survive on their own without you know help of some federal or international governments and yeah that yeah that's that's what miles is trying to say do i believe that if marshall rosen rosenberg or, or peter Pagassian, you know went over and talked to al-qaeda like we would all be saved like i don't know like i think it's it's a matter of greater like decades long causes and effects that led up to it like was it purely about belief in that sense no like were the direct actors that did those atrocities like that day were they fanatics like yes right but is the fanaticism like the root cause like i would say Hitchens just do- doesn't delve into that because right as he's writing this book, he's like defending Americans, America's choice to like invade Iraq and, and to get rid of, you know, Muslim fun, fun, fundamentalists at, by any, by any, by any means. Right. So he has like an agenda at this time to like defend that point of view. Um, I mean, the other, the other thing too, though, is, I mean, you just said it with uh, stretching back decades, right? I mean, you stretch back centuries and you got the Crusades, right? Like this isn't, this isn't the first time. Um, and this definitely isn't the beginning of some like West versus East or the Middle East uh, kind of war dynamic, which was also deeply shaped by religion. Um, and obviously it's not the only thing as Miles is saying, but uh, yeah, I guess it just goes to show how so much of this is passed down and kind of like overlapping. And yeah, I mean, the, the cause and effect isn't, isn't incredibly clear, but religion is definitely like an agent in, yeah. in bringing about things as it has. Yeah. And I think that's, a, it, it gives us a great opportunity to understand mm-hmm. people and why they think the way that they do. Um, and I, I agree with you, Miles. So Christopher Hitchens had, there, there were some things that I, I wholeheartedly disagree with him with, right? His, his view on the invasion of Iraq was abhorrent to me. Um, I don't think we, the United States should have ever had any intervention in Iraq. It's just, that's just mm-hmm. my personal opinion. Um, but I, I think the, the larger point if we if we go go back to kind of like the context is can we just talk one-on-one to people about why they believe what they believe and do they have reasons for believing what they believe i.e i'll i'll illustrate it as an example um so i i typically come across people uh, and this not going to shock anybody. I typically come across a lot of Christians in my day-to-day life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in, I live in the Southeast of America. And for the most part, you, you ride around, you see thousands of churches all over the place. Mm-hmm. You see billboard signs that say, find Jesus now. 
Um, and you typically see the, the street preacher with, <laughs> <laughs> and don't mean to offend anybody, but you, you see the street preachers with signs like gays go to hell, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you don't, like, it's funny because I know my wife, every time we walk past one of those, she like has to like grab my arm and like keep me from talking to them. But like, if you don't stop and talk to them, then how will you ever get to know why they believe the way they believe? Right. Um, because homophobia in America was, I, I believe that it was exacerbated by religious fervor. I, I mean, I oh, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. So I, I could point to something like that and say, okay. all right, why do you believe that people, homosexuals uh, do not deserve the same rights as you? And if you don't talk to them, how would you, how would you know what their reasoning is for that and why you can, why they come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the example is, Hey, I was, I was walking downtown. I saw a street preacher with a sign that said, gay, all gays go to hell, had a Bible verse on it. Um, I stopped and talked with them for no, no more than 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and I got to the root just by asking, how did you come to your conclusions? How do you know that that is correct? If you were presented with some evidence, would it change your mind? And we came to an honest realization in just this particular instance that he believes the Bible is 100% true. Um, when the Bible says gays are an abomination, he believes it. And he doesn't believe that God ordained a man to sleep with a man or a woman to sleep with a woman. But if I didn't actually talk to him and just wrote him off as some fringe person, then how would I ever know, like, hey, where can we meet in the middle? Where can we talk about this? Because that person votes. Like, it doesn't seem like it could affect your life, but people's actions and beliefs affect their act or excuse me people's beliefs affect their actions so if this person believes that they're more likely to vote against equality in marriage they're more likely to vote against uh abortion access like, like those things and so if you if you want a more just and complete society we have to be able to talk with people we disagree with mm. and i think that's such, that's such a beautiful example too and it may made me think of that story from the book where they were talking about what was it? It was like some post world war II study where they got a bunch of like house housewives in like a room and they're like, Oh, you all should cook this kind of meat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And they, they were saying like, it's always better to, instead of lecturing someone, try and get them to believe it on on their own. And I think that's what you did so well with that example is like, because you just kind of like try to be curious and try to step through their beliefs. Like it probably allowed them the frame, like like their own framework to like interrogating why they believe that stuff on their own, right? Because like they really would, would change when they're like, hmm, like that, that question that, that Travis asked, like that is like in the back of my mind, like a little, why, why do I think that for this reason? Cause even saying that, right. 
But I think in a lot of arguments, because folks will try and drive their points so much, it cuts off the possibility of people even wanting to learn after the fact. I think that's the most important important thing because if folks want to come into the beliefs by themselves, giving folks the space to do that is like imperative and knowing that you're not trying to convince them like in the debate, but you're just trying to like really like plant a seed of curiosity like that is that is the most important 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 thing. Um, yeah, that's a great point because yeah. I, I approach every conversation I have with somebody like that uh, by from a point uh, or a place of genuine curiosity. I just I literally just want to learn. I got, yeah. I'm not here to give you a message. I'm not here to like speak facts to you. I just want to really learn why you think the way you think. I mean. That goes to the rapport piece in the book. That goes to actually getting to know somebody. That goes to a lot of things, right? Um, but I think a port, like an obstacle, and let me know if y'all think the same way or feel the same way. An obstacle to a lot of this conversation that we have in our society now is like this, this polite political correctness mm-hmm. that you're not supposed to speak about certain topics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I get I get all the time like, Travis, why are you talking to somebody about their religion? You're not supposed to talk about that. Or mm-hmm. Travis, why are you talking to somebody about their political beliefs or what they think about this? You're not supposed to talk about that. And I'm always like, why can't we? Yeah. We're both consenting adults. Why, like, why can't we? Yep. I think, and what's funny about it, I found that at the end of the day, the conversations that are most stigmatized end up being the most fulfilling because you don't have, have them very often. Like if we talked about religion as much as we talked about the weather, like I would not be grateful for it. Right. But like, cause it is in those rare cases, <laughs> like with you, where it's like, we're intentional about it and we want to talk about it because it is rare and because it gets to like the core of like a lot of like meaning of our lives. Like it's important. Like, this is going back to the basic human needs thing that Jen was was saying. We we can't not talk about things that are like again very important to our lives and being, and that includes money, religion, identity, all that. Like every everything is always on on the table for for me and probably you. Oh, uh, you talking you talking about me? Oh, Travis. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, man, I was gonna get. Yeah, I really wanted to get your opinion on it too. Because, well, I mean, yeah, no, I remember. Uh, I remember when I first got into high school. Um, I had a coach who jokingly like said that, uh, you know, the three things you're not supposed to talk about are religion, politics, and sports. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, like, those are like low key my favorite things to talk about, <laughs> you know. Like, but, but, um, you know, luckily, luckily, he wasn't he wasn't bringing that up in a way to like chastise me. I think he was just pointing out, he was pointing out the, the the culture that we're in, which is very like avoidant of like topics that can lead to like, you know, uh, fights and you know, particularly fights among like uh family members i mean i'm not we're, we're not white but i mean you know coming back from college break sometimes and people being like oh like 
there's nothing worse than like Thanksgiving dinner, having to get into a screaming match with my with my aunt and my uncle <laughs> who are like Trump supporters, you know, like that's that's real shit. That's real shit. You know, but like, but I think I think that uh, you know, uh prayers out, prayers out to to all people dealing with that kind of stuff. But um, you know, even even within our own family, like we don't all agree on religion in the same way. And I think because it because it hurts so much to feel connected to somebody, but then also like not seen by them or not heard by them or be able to like hear them and their own perspective on something as crucial as like, you know, your core beliefs and whatnot. Um, it's just really painful. And I think it's for a lot of, for a lot of people, for me, a lot of times it's easier to kind of like avoid the pain of it than like really embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm actually, I'm actually just started this book called my grandmother's hands, oh, which, yeah, yeah which it, I mean, it's beautiful. I, I read like the first 40 pages last night and, you know, he's talking about how trauma is actually in the body. It's not like a, it's not a, it's not a intellectual or emotional thing. It's, it's very much embodied and, you know, uh, in particular, there are two types of pain that he like outlined one is like clean pain which is about like you know uh recognizing that pain is a good is is crucial to growth um and then dirty pain which is kind of like the pain that you feel by avoiding that growth and that pain obviously um and so it's like either way you're gonna feel pain but at least in one there's like at least one of them is the path towards healing and you know being able to have healthier relationships with the people around you um so i I guess i kind of regard conversations around like religion politics sports those kinds of things as like that clean pain that we can't embrace right it's definitely uncomfortable but it goes a long way towards building those like deeper connections right and yeah i mean i guess that that's part of what's so important about like stuff like this, right, is that um, the opportunities are always around us every day. And it's really easy to just continue avoiding them, especially when, you know, you got shit to do, bills to pay, whatnot. Um, But kind of to Miles's point, right, that's what makes it even more special when you do take the opportunity or it's kind of like put on you and, you know, you can't, you can't avoid it, right? Um, Just because of how it can really enable you to grow even in understanding yourself and another person. Yeah, man. I think that's amazing. Uh, it's beautiful to be honest with you um, because it, when you said the, the Thanksgiving conversations, all I'm reminded of is like, so I've had an impossible conversation lately. So I, I had this, I had this conversation with my mom. Um, so let me just kind of set the scene for y'all. So my, my mom is a biblical fundamentalist, um, Southern Baptist, beautiful black woman. Right. Um, for those who don't know, my mom just be- my mom believes everything in the Bible is completely 100 percent true from six days to create the earth, from Moses getting tablets three times on a on a hill that nobody knows where it's at. Like it's 
all completely true, right? So it it I honestly think it pains her to know that her son doesn't believe that it's true, but I, I could see it. It probably pains her, but the there was one there was one conversation where I just I just had to have it right because we generally when we get together, uh, especially when I take my kids to go visit her, we genuinely try to stay away from the topic because I know it hurts her. But um, I ha- I have to have the conversation because she's my kid's grandmother, right? Uh, because there's mm-hmm. ideas that. I would like for my kids to have more nuance and context if she says things around them. One was the discussion about whether the global flood in the story of Noah was true. So geological data just proves that 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 never occurred, right? Uh, If you wanna say that it was a metaphorical story, cool. Uh, I don't know like what lesson you get out of your deity killing everybody on earth through drowning, but Hey, to each his own. Um, so I, I asked her a series of questions and it wasn't, it wasn't anything to be a, a an asshole to my mother. Cause I'm not, it's, it's just trying to get where to where she actually thinks. Right. Um, so I think I started off the questioning with mom, do you believe that this man, this 900 year old man put every two of every animal on this boat? Yes. Okay. Uh, did he have help? Yes. He had sons and you know, his family help. Okay, cool. Uh, were there koalas on the boat? Yes. Why are you asking me about koalas? Uh, so I, I brought up, well, koalas can only eat eucalyptus and eucalyptus only grows in Australia. So how did you get koalas from Australia to the Middle East? Well, I don't know. It just, it appeared in, in Israel or Egypt or wherever. That doesn't seem right. So, okay. So how big did the boat have to be? Oh, well, whatever it says in the Bible. Well, okay. Uh, if it's whatever it says in the Bible, well, where would you put predators like lions and where would you put antelopes were they on the same boat or like where would you put them like and then where was the food if the lions couldn't eat the gazelles what did you feed them and i i think like me just being honestly curious about how she thought like allowed her to re kind of construct her beliefs and i do that with everybody and it wasn't to be and ask like it, I, I was genuinely asking questions on all right if this is true i just want to see how somebody who believes it's true can construct how it occurred right how did we get the penguins from antarctica to the middle east how did that occur like what method occurred to make that happen and then once they got off how do we get the sloths to move from the middle east back down to australia that's a great those are great questions i feel like even that like i can imagine myself in a similar conversation and i'm trying to think what context it was but i feel like in those cases too the people who you're asking those questions to will like kind of it's not like they will project 
your negative your negativity or like they'll like make it seem like you're trying to right because you're trying to fund fund fundamentally like unseat their beliefs and kind of unshade them i think it can feel a little too um not pointed you know what i'm saying yeah i think i think they they definitely can feel like they're on on the spot um yeah i think i think that you I think what you're you're referring to, Miles, is kind of like this. Hey, they're coming to me with these questions with a a goal in mind, yeah, exactly. a, a negative goal in mind. Like yeah, they, exactly. I, they have an agenda that they want to right. come across. And one of the things in how to have impossible conversations is just genuinely like talk to somebody with curiosity. Like in that conversation, I truly didn't have an agenda. I really just wanted to know how. If you believe this is true, how and like how did this occur? Because I want it, I want understanding. I think that's how you should be with all conversations, right? Like if you have a diametrically opposed viewpoint with somebody, let's be respectful to your conversation partner, develop the rapport, and then just truly honestly like be open to discussing how they came to the beliefs and why they came to those beliefs. Uh, I think more importantly, how it came to those beliefs, because to be honest, I don't think until I asked my mom all those questions, I don't think mm-hmm. she ever in her life really sat down and thought about how she came to that belief. Mm-hmm. I think there was a confluence of societal and cultural factors that created a a black woman in the South growing up in the 60s, 70s and coming to prominence in the 80s. Like, obviously, she was probably going to be Christian. Like, that's you grew up in Atlanta, you're probably going to be Christian. Like, that's right. probably how she came to it. But I, I don't think like many people actually sit down and like honestly come to believe that their religious belief or their political beliefs are true because they went through a series of discussions with themselves. Like, all right, why do I think this way? How do I come to this conclusion? And until you have those conversations with people, I don't think many of us have that. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our episode with Travis. If you love our vibe, love what we're talking about, go ahead and click over to part two of this conversation. And if you're enjoying the show, go ahead and leave a rating and review on Apple Music. Thank you again.